a listener production. Hello, everyone. Before we start this episode, we'd like to let you know that our guest speaks about her experience with mental health and attempts on her own life. Of course, if you find anything triggering, Lifeline is always there on 13 11 14. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Listen Able. It's a podcast that Dylan and myself, Angus O'Loughlin, created to normalise disability as an able-bodied idiot two years ago coming into this, uh, having only one close contact disability dude, the guy next to me. In Is that me? That's you. Ooh, hey, we are. I don't want to jump the gun. Okay. We are very close to that fresh, fresh one milli. Oh, yeah. You know oh, that? yeah. Like we might even knock it off I this think year. This episode could knock it off. Woo! One million downloads. Be, Oh, hang on. I just, just got oh, early. Who listening. is that? She's listening. We have an hang on, my, hang on a minute. <laughs> uh, we do have a very special guest who could help us get there. And uh, let's get into the next episode, the second last episode of 2022. My name is Taylor Clement. Um, I've just turned 24. Um, and I was born with an extremely rare neurological disorder called Nobia syndrome. Um, it affects my sixth and seventh cranial nerves. So that means um, my eyebrows don't move, my eyes don't trap from left to right, and my upper lip doesn't move. So it's basically like facial paralysis, or I like to refer to it as free Botox. So if my friend- <laughs> Do you know what I was thinking in my head, Taylor? Oh, my girlfriend, that's, that's Chantel's dream. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if my future husband is listening to this right now, I just know you won't have to pay for my Botox. Nice. Um, <laughs> um, and the syndrome is so rare that it only affects one person in every three to four million. So instead of being one in one million, I'm one in three to four. So that's like an added bonus as well. Um, <laughs> and because, because of the syndrome, I was also born... Well, anyone who's born with the syndrome is born with an outer extremity deformity. So it could be um, webbed fingers, no fingers, um, missing limbs, dicky hips. Um, but I was born with bilateral talipes or clubbed feet. So okay. when I was born, both of my um, feet were bent in and touching the uh, insides of my knees. So I had a couple of operations on them um, before the age of about three, I believe, Um and so basically what that came out as is having little to no ankle movement and no calf muscles, which is what enabled me to be a Paralympic athlete. Cool. So now that they've been, we'll start with the feet, now that they've been switched around and that, so there's a still a bit of a disability there, but they're obviously a lot better than they were? Yeah, so but a lot of, <laughs> I always laugh about this because when I was in swimming, especially because I've been in two Paralympic sports, when I was in swimming, yeah. I was like, I'd be up on the blocks and I'd be racing against people with like missing limbs. And I always felt a bit like, not uncomfortable, but a bit like an outsider because I had like not a visible disability. Whereas my syndrome, which isn't really classified as a disability, well, it wasn't then, but I think it definitely would be now. But I don't classify it as that, but we'll get into that. (laughs) Um, But my syndrome was always the more visible of the two. Um, so I guess, yeah, being in a Paralympic sport and not feeling like you're disabled or not looking like you're disabled um, was always a bit of a tricky one. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll back you up there because I know classification can be tough, right? That's the different oh, disabilities, Angus. But people would have seen um, your syndrome and be like, hang on, she's able-bodied everywhere else. And that would have been, I imagine, 
a lot of, you know, bickering from other athletes and stuff. Yeah, That's yeah. my experience. Oh, don't even, I think we could do like a whole podcast just on the Paralympic <laughs> classification system itself because, oh, my God. Yeah, it's boring. It though. drives me sell. insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree. <laughs> I get fired off about it. <laughs> you said it's one in three to four million. Yeah. You're from New Zealand. What's the population of New Zealand? Five milli. So are you the only one in New Zealand? <laughs> no, there's a couple of us. Definitely when okay. I was growing up, I know, I know. I was like, I want to be the only one. <laughs> um, but, no, when I was growing up, they definitely, I had only, in my whole time growing up and still to this day, I've only ever met one other person. And when I met her, I was about 12 or 13, and she was about 40-something. Um, so the, even that in itself, there was quite that age gap, so I couldn't really relate to her, although she had my syndrome. And we both had the same syndrome, sorry. Um, it was still kind of hard to relate to her. Um, but, yeah, there's not many of us. My mum's in, like, all the American media syndrome Facebook groups and stuff still. She's so <laughs> cute. She's like, hey, look at this girl, look at this boy. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, mum. <laughs> yeah. So there's not many. I'm sure that there are a few more in Australia, definitely. As a young person growing up with this, I mm-hmm. mean, kids can be cruel. Um, oh, and I know 100%. a lot of your story and... You know, the email that we received, you know, it did revolve around bullying. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like for you? So I guess it all starts back when I started school, so right back at the age of five. The easiest way of me saying this is that I don't remember a time in school where I wasn't bullied. Um, I mean, obviously it varied from ages and everything, and it started out as name-calling and everything. And then as I got older and because my family and I moved around the country, that um, anyone starting a new school is going to be hard. Like, it's not going to be easy for anyone. But when you've got that added thing of not looking like everyone else or not having, like, the facial expressions and stuff, bearing in mind, I was a very outgoing kid. And when I got bullied over the years, it kind of took that away from me. But, yeah, growing up, I got bullied heaps. And about around the age of... um, I want to say like 9, 10 is when it really started to escalate. So it started off as name calling and then it got to a point where um, I'd get excluded from things, get excluded from groups. Um, I then moved into a new school right after my operation on my face. This operation that I had when I was 11 was supposed to be able to make me smile. And obviously when you're a young kid and you've been bullied up until this point and someone or a doctor or someone of like a higher power than you says, oh, we've got this thing that might be able to help your problem, of course you're going to jump at it. I was 11. All I wanted was to look like everyone else. That's all I wanted. And in my mind, I was like, if I can smile, then I'm going to be accepted. I'm not going to be bullied anymore. I'm going to be like everyone else. So went and had this operation, didn't... Um, work was unsuccessful. That um, operation was eight and a half hours long. They took tissue from the right side of my thigh, put it internally up into the sides of my face from the corners of my mouth up into my temple so the idea would be like when I clenched down on my teeth, it would be able to help me smile. The tendons would help you smile, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was unsuccessful and at the time I was absolutely shattered. Like I went into a really deep spell of depression. Um, About six months after that, I took the first of what would be six attempts on my life so I was would have been just yeah just turned 12 um and Taylor, I, that's young yeah that's really young to be, when I when I tell people that um I don't I feel like not many kids know what like suicide is and I don't I personally don't think I understood what I was doing at the time either even like for the first or second times but as I got older I knew more and more what I was doing but 
all I knew was that the pain that I was going through already at that age was just so unbearable where I was just like, I just, I don't want to do it anymore. I just want to be gone. Like, I hate it here. So I started a new school um, going into that year and I went to this new school with my face swollen. Like, I looked like a puffer fish. Like, my face was, like, out here. Um, So I had no friends all of that year. Um, and I would get my bag ripped off my back. People would rip my, uh, like, books out of my bag and they'd take my lunch out of my lunchbox and throw it everywhere. I was like, you can take the backpack, you can take the books, just don't take my food. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, like, leave the lunchbox, just leave the lunchbox, your girl needs the food. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then it kind of got into more physical bullying, so I'd get, like, cornered and um, people would, like, push me around and stuff. I got pushed down hills um, when I'd like be walking upstairs to classrooms on like the upper level, people would kick my knees in from behind. So, so it like got to a point where I would like jolt. It's hard to explain. I'd, I'd like hyperextend my knees because I knew it was going to happen. And so that caused so much tension on my knee that I actually ended up tearing my meniscus. Um, from all that trauma from my knee. And I also told my mum that I'd done it running. So how many schools did you have to go to in the end? Um, five or six. That sucks. It's hard, isn't it? Because you, you don't know anything different, right? So you believe them. Or you have Even if you have, you know, 50 mates saying, don't worry about them, those two people or three people, you just think about it all the time, don't you? Yeah, 100%. Um, and I got sheep poo thrown at me. <laughs> that's such a Kiwi thing, isn't it? <laughs> no, I, was guessing, that's a, I didn't want to say that. didn't want to say it. it. Thank God but you said it. That is the most New Zealand. <laughs> that's a very New Zealand thing. Like, oh, and it turned niche. out it was Peter Jackson. <laughs> niche New Zealand. Yeah. And then the oh, my God. Everyone yeah. says it, so I was like, I'm going to jump in there before they you. think it or say it. I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, so a lot of physical bullying excluded. I would... Get um, I'd like get into like these friend groups and stuff, and um, girls would invite me over to. I remember this one specific time, and I got invited to this birthday party, which was a sleepover, and I packed my bags. I was so excited because it was like one of the first like sleepovers that I was super excited to go to. Got my bag, mum dropped me off, and she drove off, and I went up to the front door, knocked on the front door. Um, and the house that I was staying at was kind of close to our house, so it wasn't too far of a drive anyway. Um, and I knocked on the front door, and the girls opened it, and they were all laughing, and, like, they were all, like, not saying anything directly to me, but they were all whispering to each other, and I was like, oh, my... I just, like, knew something wasn't right in that moment. Like, I just knew in my gut that something wasn't um, quite right, and so I was like, I'm here, like, for the sleepover, and they're like, oh, you weren't invited. And I was like... Oh, and I was like, but I got the invitation. They were like, no, you weren't invited. And they were all like laughing and they shut the door on my face. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like, I was like, I had that feeling in your throat, like when you're trying to hold back tears. And I was like, oh my God, what is mum going to say? She's going to think I'm so stupid or whatever. And so instead of going home, I took my sleeping bag and I slept outside in a bus shelter um, that night because I was just like so ashamed. What about a turning point for you? Right, so was there a moment when you kind of, you did become disability proud and then, then the person... Oh, 100%, 100%. Um, I always say to people now, like, people always ask me, like, are you, like, sad that you can't smile? I was like, are you joking? Like, I love that I can't smile and, like, I love that I had something different about me. But along that journey, um, I really kind of fell in love with the idea of being 
100% authentic to who I am, loving myself no matter what, loving myself on my bad days, on my good days, on my in-between days, and really just embracing the fact that I'm literally one in three to four million and that is something to be so proud of. Um, you know, I, one of the questions, again, I always get asked is, would you, like, change it? And, like, if you'd asked me five or six years ago, I would have been like, hell yes. <laughs> um, but now I'm just like, nah, you could not pay me $10 billion, like, to oh, have wow. a smile. Like, honestly, I would, I would not take any money to change my smile because it has given me the ability to inspire and empower others and like it just lights me up i'm trying not to cry right now because i get so emotional about it but yeah, good on you. Um, I love hearing that. It, it like it lights me up so much and i'm like very grateful that i can't smile because um although it took me through <laughs> it took me through a lot of pain and a lot of trauma uh it has given me such an incredible story and like it's something that i truly am so grateful for i mean i feel very individual as well being a straight white male <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's yes. not enough of me in the world. <laughs> Able-bodied as well, just to oh tick God. all the boxes. You, totally could do, you could do something with the hairline to make you a bit different. Oh, yeah. Okay. You, um, you need that juxtaposition, mate. You need that normie. Okay, here, great. Right? On are, the normie. Okay, you are okay. that normie. Right? Uh, Dylan speaks about Taylor, um, how sport or tennis in his case changed his life. Yeah. Um, for you, would you say the same with your sport? Um, yeah, 100%. Um Shot put definitely gave me a lot of empowerment um, and strength to realise that I can really do whatever I want to do, whether I've got a disability or not. Um, so I got into, I told myself I wasn't going to get back into any sport after having to quit swimming after going into hospital. But me being the impatient and fidgety and not being able to keep sit still kind of girl, <laughs> um, I was reached out to by Athletics New Zealand. I'm not sure how they got my name or anything, but they're like, do you want to come give, give athletics a go? And I was like, yeah, sure, um, but I just won't be running anywhere. So if you've got something that I can do that doesn't include running, like power walking maybe. There's two of us, Taylor. (laughs) Yeah, like I... (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Um, Hasn't seen my gear before, obviously. (laughs) Straight back in it. (laughs) Um. But, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'll do anything apart from running and apparently power walking isn't a Paralympic sport. So I was like, well, I'm going to be throwing some shit then because yeah. I'm not running. <laughs> so they gave, they gave me this shot put and they were like, just do what you did in school. So I stood in this circle, stood at the front of the circle, and they were like, just throw it. And I was like, okay. So I threw it and they just all stood there and looked at me and I was like, um... Hi. <laughs> and they, I was like, what's wrong? And they, no, no one said anything to me. They just started texting and calling people. I was like, what, what is going on? She's like, because I, I was like, I was, I was like standing here, like in the circle shaking. I was like, still struggling with my anxiety at this point. I was like, can someone just tell me what is happening? Like, I'm really nervous right now. Anyway, a couple of other people come over from the national office and they, they were like, throw again. So I was like, oh my God, like now I'm nervous. Like, you're putting so much pressure on me. Like, what am I supposed to do? So I threw it again and they measured it and they were like, you just broke the New Zealand record in your classification. And I was like, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so you, up no training. You're obviously bloody bloody good. You didn't go to the Paralympics though, did you? No, I didn't. It got so it got to a point. I was in the sport for about um I pulled out in mid twenty nineteen. So I was supposed to go to World Champs. Had qualified for World Champs, had broken the world record that year in shot put, um, and qualified for World Champs and I was supposed to go that year. And 
like I have been struggling a little bit um, within this thought just with like politics and everything and people didn't like that I'd come on come into the sport and sort of messed everything up for everyone else, messed up chances for everyone else, which really in my eyes is ridiculous because not, I was the only person in my classification in New Zealand, so it really didn't affect anyone else. Um, and I was sort of in the headspace was that I was just like, I'm just going to come here and see what happens. Um, I didn't need this thought. I wasn't coming into this thought to be world number one or a world record holder or to go to the Paralympics. That was never in the back of my mind. I was just like, this is something to take my mind off what's happening outside of like the sport. So I got a little bit injured, had to take some time off. And I just realized as I had taken time off that like, my mental health was starting to go downhill again within the sport. And I was like, okay, if I'm realising this now, what's it going to be like in another two months or six months or 12 months? Like, I don't want to get to the point where I've, where people have invested a lot more money in me and I've invested more time in the sport for me to not be happy within it. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to cut my ties now. And it was such a hard decision for me because I was like, I feel like I on one side of my head I was like I feel like I owe it to myself to see how far I can take this and then on the other side of my head I was like you don't need it like there was just there was just this eating voice in there that was just like you don't need this thought you don't need this thought you can do so much more outside the sport um and probably the best decision I ever made was to so no regret you don't want to go back no Good job. Yeah. Good answer. Like yeah. it. That's the same with me. Um, a lot of people saw a lot of prospect with me in a lot of various sports and I just decided world records went for me then I pulled out before having the opportunity to compete as well. So Taylor, Angus oh, played. Well, I'm so proud of you, Angus. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> Taylor, Angus played football all year for a team. Right? He played Australian rules football. He made the grand, the team made the grand final yeah. and he got dropped for the grand final. <laughs> And then how's this? What's that guy's name? You remember his name? Kim Cobb. Kim Cobb took you to the Scotch Hall Collegiate Football Club in Adelaide. His name. Of course. The worst part was being named as an emergency and I didn't even know what that was, Taylor. You were meant to rock up to the ground with your equipment. In case something happened. In case something happened. <laughs> I was on the beers with the B team. Yeah, you would have been like, get stuffed. I was with the reserves on the sides oh, sitting in beers at Cooper's. Angus, that is such a missed opportunity. You could have really rigged some players then. Well... I mean, touch wood, he's now signed to Collingwood Football Club, but Ash Johnson, who did play in the grand final, broke his arm in the first five minutes oh. of the match. Well, you would have been the super sub. They would no. have lost, though. No, they didn't have super sub. <laughs> anyway, it all happens for a reason is what I'm saying. And look yeah. at us now. If I'd, if I'd played in that grand final, maybe I'd be doing a football podcast oh and we'd be here today. Uh, so what are the daily struggles now that you've come into this new version of Taylor Clement? Like yeah. the one that we're seeing today, mm-hmm. bubbly, energetic, your personality on Instagram is... Not only hilarious, but a vibe. <laughs> um, do you still struggle sometimes with, I know you wouldn't take back your smile, but is there still some days where that expression less approach to your life has hindered you a little bit? Look, everyone's going to have their bad days. Everyone's going to have their bad body image days. Everyone's going to look at themselves sometimes in their own and go like, oh, I'm not feeling it today. And I will put my hand up and say I have those days some days. Um, not much anymore. Definitely on my recovery journey, I really had to like put myself in the mirror, in front of the mirror some days and be like, you are Taylor and you can do whatever the frick you want. <laughs> Self-censoring, love that. Thank you. Kiwi, you've sounded so far, by the way. The most frick you want. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But, yeah, I mean, obviously you're going to have your good days, but um, I'm pretty confident in saying that 
it's, I've, I don't really feel like anything really hinders me. Do you know what my motto is though? And it never used to be this. Like I used to want everyone to like me. I feel like like when you're growing up, you want everyone to like you. You want to be in the cool group. You want to be liked by everyone. But now I'm just like, if you don't like me, that is 100% fine. One, it's your loss because I am so much fun. Um, I will make your day so much better. <laughs> um, but if you don't like me, that's fine. Like I'd rather you didn't because I like to have a small circle. <laughs> um, but like I am who I am and I'm not going to change myself for anyone. And also now that we now that like majority of the world is wearing masks, you can't see people's smiles anyway. So it's like a win-win. True. <laughs> but I, I was just having a cheeky stalk of your Instagram yesterday. Mm-hmm. You got a big following, right? And think about all those D heads in, who were younger who used to give you a hard time. I was going through your Instagram. You get so much support on there, as you should, right? How does that make you feel? I love this question so much and I was hoping you'd ask because I think you guys are going to find it hilarious too. But some of the guys especially that used to bully me um, in school, they've like slid into my DMs and been like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what I did. Hey, I live in Auckland now. I was just wondering if like you'd want to catch up and I either block or I send them a real sassy message and then when I've seen, they'd seen it, I block them. Um, But I just love it because it's just like, karma's a bitch, man. Like... (laughs) Well, my my question to that is why wouldn't you want to reconcile that? It's just just not for you. You went through so much. You're not willing to dig up the past. You're not willing to let them apologize and seek What if they mean it? What if they mean it? If I thought it was genuine, me, I'm of the viewpoint that um, saying someone's ugly the first time is, yeah, okay, passing comment, whatever. But when it's said to you by someone every single day or every other day for a long period of time, like, you know what you're doing. Like, you mm-hmm. cannot sit there and say, oh, I didn't know what I was doing. I was young or whatever. Like, ma- like majority of these people that have reached out to me um, have been, like, were bullying me when I was, like, 15, 16, like, 14, 15, 16. So it's like, it's not like they didn't know what they were doing. And I'm just of the viewpoint of, like, that's my past. I'm in my present right now. I don't want anything to do with that. And people are obviously going to think differently than me, but, yeah, that's just the viewpoint that I'm at and I'm happy with it and um, I'm living my best life at the moment and I'm loving life. i got a bit of a rogue one just that I've got to ask just to come into my head. I want to know, like, if I went into a store in a bad mood, no male's ever going to go to me, I want to you crack a smile, mate. Have that happened to you? What's your response? How does it make you feel? Um, it's definitely happened to me. Um, on the odd times that I am by myself, I'll either just blow it off, laugh, or just be like, oh, I really just don't have the energy. It's just like, oh, I really don't care. Well, I guess it leads to uh, a ball of uncomfortable question, Taylor. So this is where people send us on social media a question. This one comes from a lady named Janine. And Janine says, hi, Taylor. I'm Hello. a wedding photographer mm-hmm. and I get asked to Photoshop a lot of my clients. Oh. Have you no, no, ever no. <laughs> had someone else Photoshop you with a smile? No, I haven't. But um, when I used to get my school photos taken, bearing in mind they were the 
same person every single every year, year. Yep. and you'd think they would like recognize me anyway they'd, they'd stand there on the photo like and tell me to smile and like i'm smiling and <laughs> they'd be like i can't smile and like there were this line of kids just like giggling oh, and laughing yeah. so and like, annoying. i'd stand there now they should be like smile and at one time i remember i think it was like year 12 she like kept on telling me to smile i was like look bitch F off. And I just walked out. I was like, see you later. But like, no, I've never had anyone Photoshop me. And if I did, I'd give them a piece of my mind. Um, but yeah, I think Photoshop is a big no-no. <laughs> and can I also add one? This is mm-hmm. uh, just a personal from this yeah. um, conversation. How do you feel about beauty filters on Instagram? Um, I actually did um, a reel on this earlier in the week, funny you ask, um, but I have no issue with like the colour changing ones, like um, I think there's one called like Retro Cam, which is like one of my faves, where it just like changes the colour of the background or whatever, but some of these filters that are changing the size of your lips, like your nose, um, it's just like, what the heck? <laughs> what is happening to this world? Like, why do we feel like we need to... There's this one that puts a grid over your face and shows you what your face would look like if it were, and it, the filters thing. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so oh. it shows you how your face would be if you had perfect cheekbone, perfect yeah. structure, perfect oh, nose, I, I perfect tried, eyes. Try to do that one. Yeah. Didn't yeah. Um, no. It's too far I... gone. Well, fun fact: a person who invented an app deleted it once they had kids and found oh. it and thought about Did their they? daughter using it. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's one where you can Photoshop your face into like movie scenes. And people have oh, yeah. been doing that for me and I run, I walk. So like, it'll be like Mr and Mrs Smith with Brad Pitt and it's my face. It really? just weirds me out. Like I don't know why. I'm not you like, was Keanu Reeves? That's it. That's what they do. Yeah. It's me, my face, right? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I don't feel bad about it. I just weird. I'm like, Ew, I don't want that. Like it's yeah. just kind of whack. <laughs> Um, I think, I mean, it kind of comes into the conversation about is social media good or bad? And I'm Mm. in the party of social media is good because, again, it's given me a platform to create a community where people can come and feel safe and message me about stuff that they're going through or they've seen something that I've posted and like, I relate to that so much, thank you. Like the DMs and messages that I get truly blow my mind sometimes. I'm like, how lucky am I to have this platform to share my story? But there's also this side of social media, um, and I don't want to offend anyone, <laughs> but it's kind of turned into a popularity contest or a beauty contest. It's like who can look the skinniest with the fattest bum and the biggest tits and the nicest looks and the skinniest nose and the nicest eyebrows. They're never going to beat me having the nicest um, skin because I'm never, never. going to have wrinkles. Seriously, so that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You need to go check. It's honestly unbelievable. Like Chantel's going to be that jealous. Looks great. <laughs> At Taylor Clement, just your name if people want to give you a cheeky follow, and they should because the content is great. <laughs> and I think we'll be seeing a lot more of you. What do you reckon? Absolutely. Beautiful. We appreciate your time, Taylor. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been so cool. Huge thank you to Taylor. Absolute superstar. And just so excited. Like uh, in the lead up to her episode coming out has just been like yeah, in our DMs, the like, DMs. When can I tell people? When oh, can yeah. I tell people? She's so excited. So Taylor, um, you can now tell people. <laughs> go crazy yeah. if you're listening to this. And now next week's going to be a big one for you guys. You've been talking about this for a while now. Yeah, we're going out. Uh, the final episode of Listen Able is a great white shark, a great white shark attack survivor. Shark attack. Yeah, not Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, uh, still able-bodied, very tall man. Yeah. But this guy literally was attacked. 
He has a disability from it. I don't want to give away too much because he tells the story so well, but the next episode of Listen Able sounds a lot like this. By this stage, a shark had my left flank and the underside of my board and it was just shaking me around um, like a rag doll. Then I let go of me. I was off my board and that's when Nick and Brock started to come out to help me. I would have got within an arm's reach of Nick. I went to go reach out to grab his hand and we just felt this surge of water again and the shark come up behind me and pull me down for the, for the second time. But, you know, the boys just had this image burned in their mind of when it come up behind me the second time, they remember the little sensors on its nose as it's breaching the water and the eyes, its eyes rolling back of its head before it bit me down. And yeah, I remember the second time it grabbed me, it took me, my board um, and everything, you know, I was sort of then fighting for my life under the ocean surface. Here's the thing I've got to watch out for is because I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, but it might not be cool for him. But it's also, yeah, one of his, but the most traumatic moment I'm of sure his life. I'm sure both started being like, oh, that's so much better than a tumor. Yeah, <laughs> your story. <laughs> um, the next episode of Listen Able. Uh, we can't wait to wrap up the year with you then. See you then, bye. Listen Able was presented by Dylan Orcott and Angus O'Loughlin. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Produced by Beth Gibson. We also hire people with disability, including Stephen Tower, who does our captions for YouTube. And our awesome theme song is made by Eliza Hull. Listener.